0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I am very excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Mark Bubbs. Dr. Mark Bubbs is a naturopathic doctor. He is a consultant uh, performance nutritionist for Team Canada Basketball and Altus. He is the author of the book Peak, the New Science of Performance that is Revolutionizing Sport, an Integrated and Personalized Approach. To Athlete Health, Nutrition, Recovery, and Mindset. We'll talk a lot about that today. He is the host of his own podcast, the Performance Nutrition Podcast. In today's podcast with Dr. Bubs, we're going to talk a lot about his four pillars of health uh, for any person, really, but particularly in the scope of an athlete today. One being health, two being nutrition, three being recovery, and four being mindset. And we're really going to focus on Uh, Two big pillars in in my life that I really focus on, mindset being the last one there, and then sleep, which I kind of throw under category one there with health. Super excited to talk to someone of of really his regard and continue to discuss the nuance of what drives action. What values and identities do we need to have as people and as performers in order to consistently avoid self-sabotage really is what it is. And and how can we get on our own side so that we can be our own best advocate for our best performance? Uh, this is a, a, an awesome podcast with Dr. Bubs. I'm really excited uh, to share with you our conversation really around sleep and mindset today. Dr. Mark Bubbs, thanks uh, for coming on the Curious Competitor Podcast, man. I'm excited to talk. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. I had uh, Charlie Weingroff on recently, and I'm, I'm going to hey. get Sam Gibbs down here soon. They both had high praise uh, of you. Sam but, literally said, here, let me get it here. I got a lot of dirt
1: on both of them, so That's why they give me compliments.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you forced their hand. He said he knows a lot about a lot, which is why I love him. Um, so you were a strength coach turned naturopathic doctor. That was kind of your career path.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, university, I wanted to go into medicine and, and you know, during that time got really into nutrition and this is back in like the late nineties and you're asking around about how we use nutrition in medicine and you got a lot of blank stares. And so you know, with that, it's like, Hey, how am I going to, how am I going to apply this? So, you know, at the time, like a lot of people, you just take a year off and that turns into three or four years off. And, and then all of a sudden when I came back, I was like, all right, well, you know, in Canada, obviously in the U S we've got, you know, naturopathic medicine, you can use nutrition. And then from there I did a master's in, in sport and exercise nutrition. So kind of bringing that holistic mindset to, uh, to performance. Right.
0: Well, I think that in the scope of our podcast today with our listener, if we can, You know, you can share and go on at length about any of the first, you know, the four pillars of health that you identify in your book, Peak. Um, Whichever one you want to start with, you know, you've got the four, what are they listed as? Health, nutrition, recovery, and mindset. Um, And then what I'd really like to tease out, if we can, is some of the personal stories to, I guess, highlight the power of these individual pillars. And because what I'm always interested in as, as an athlete is, you know, what is your greatest success story? Like, give me the anecdote of the player that, or or person that was able to internalize everything that you've, you've taught them and really make the greatest incremental gain, you know? Cause that's where, that's what I'm after. You know, I want, I want the big ones, the big changes. Yeah,
1: there you go. I mean, I think it all starts even with, uh, I talk about our sports psychologist, Dr. Peter Jensen. I mean, you know, the fastest way to connect with another person or to connect with an athlete is through emotion, right? Like we all think we're rational people, right? We're making these logical decisions all the time, but you know, 90% of everything we do is based off emotion. And so this is where it's, you know, as you, as you mentioned, as an athlete, I mean, this, we're trying to channel these emotions, right? Not suppress them. And, And this is how we can connect with people and sharing stories about how something helps someone is actually an easier way to explain something than it is to tell them all about, you know, the biochemical or physiological benefits of something, right? A story is a nice way to say, Hey, like for sleep, for example, you know, you go back to like 2008, 2009, Roger Federer starts digging into some of the sleep research and and, and applying it to himself, and all of a sudden the guy's recovering better, feeling better. And as the story goes, from some of the researchers back then who we were working in and around him, that you know he, it was such an impact on him, he didn't want to tell anybody else what he was doing. Right? It's like Dependent this is bastard, this, this, yeah. this is, yeah, this is a him. performance edge, right? Um, and so, you know, I think the, those things help, especially. Um, when you're communicating with athletes, I mean, when it comes to someone like yourself, you know, an athlete telling another athlete something about nutrition can often increase compliance compared to even a practitioner telling them. Right. And so it's, How do you go about relaying your messages to the people you want to influence? Because at the end of the day, we just want the behaviors to move in the directions we want. We don't necessarily have to be the one who's giving them the piece of paper and saying, hey, do this. If we can actually make it so that it seems almost like the person came up with it themselves, that's the best way, right? Because you feel like you had a real piece in it. And then that way, you know, the athlete really takes it to heart. And all of a sudden, you know, it's not something on the to-do list. It's like, hey, this is just what I do every day. You know, this is I get this much sleep. You know, i got my sleep routine down and the, all those types of things. And, you know, that's why, you know, for myself working with athletes and these days, of course, in the last 10 years, the sleep research has really blown up. Um, you know, it's a great place to start because whether you're an athlete, whether you're on the performance staff, a coach, whether you're just a you know a parent or somebody working trying to improve their health. I mean, just getting more sleep is is a huge part of the story. And this has come from someone with you know, three kids under seven. So like we talked about before, you know, once that starts happening, you start losing sleep. And this is when you realize, okay, well, how are we going to then tinker with things? Because we can't just get this automatic seven or seven and a half or eight. Now we got to be more strategic with how we can try to get those sleep hours in, in the week or even, you know, in a, in a solid night's sleep.
0: And yeah, when I think back to even probably for me, the best peak of my career in terms of sweet spot with where all my routines felt super integrated and it was, it was really easy. It was post-trade. I was in Toronto. I just got sent down with the Maple Leafs and was playing in the Calder Cup finals with the Marlies. And I was in this hotel, you know, my dog who's barking in the background was gone. (laughs) You know, my, my wife was still, um, you know, on the other side of the trade in Washington going to work every day. And I think I, uh, I was getting down for like nine, nine and a half every night. And wow. what it was for me was an amplifier, like it was the perfect, um, you can talk about one eat right. Well, you definitely have a, a, you're more subject to the sweet tooth when you're on like five, six hours of sleep. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're at, you know, your day's end and you're, you're looking in the freezer for something. Um, you know, you definitely, we know so much about strength training and, and what a stronger athlete is able to do you know, for the, you know, towards their top of their performance. Well, sleep sort of like an amplifier for that. Um, What are some strategies that you'll use, you know, for different athletes from, you know, young pros like myself? I'm 26, you know, so I I still think I have, you know, room to grow and and continue to integrate this stuff and yeah, yeah. Um, Versus all the way down to, you know, maybe the youth player who's listening to this.
1: Well, I'll tell you what a nice place to start, segue this conversation is this recent study came out showing uh it's called nomophobia, which is now this new definition of fear of going to sleep without your phone so in college students, seventy to ninety percent of college students have nomophobia right if their phone's not next to them when they're going to bed they have uh, you know feelings of anxiety and so we're, we, you know we're're we're, we're really changing the way that we respond you know our daily routines and and, you know, the, our, our natural evolution with this, this device, which obviously does a lot of great stuff. Hey, we're talking on a podcast here. This is amazing. But I think this is where from, you know, a young age, or even when you're in your teens or twenties or heck, thirties, forties, we got to start trying to change our behaviors around some of this stuff, because it's going to seem like you get your sleep's fine. You know, people are texting and emailing and social media before bed, but we know it's having an impact on things like sleep quality. And so you know, this is where, how do we start to say, okay, well, we're going to put the phone away at a certain time, or we're going to put it over on this side of the room, little things that seem sort of innocuous, but when you start to add on and layer on those benefits, you know, you start to get a pretty big bang for your buck. So I think that's a a good place for a lot of people to start. And, you know, if you, if you don't have your phone with you and you start feeling a little bit anxious, that's, that's probably a little bit of a sign that we can, you know, start to maybe do a few things to support that. Right. But
0: yeah. I, I went and got myself one of these aura rings. Cause I felt like I was one of those guys where, you know, how'd you sleep last night? Yeah. I slept pretty good. I mm-hmm. slept fine. You know, and then you start looking at these sleep scores and it's like 70, 80, you know, and I'm not even on the road. You know, I got this, um, right before COVID hit. So, you know, yep. kind of right. It's, uh, you know, we were really sitting at home and I couldn't believe like how much work and preparation it took before bedtime to get into that place where I could actually get to sleep, stay asleep, get to a, a depth of sleep that I was desiring. Oh yeah. My, my sleep routine probably starts at, I would say it starts with dinner time. Like if I can keep dinner time to last bite of food before six 30, I'm on the right track. Um, if we're sitting yeah. down for dinner at, you know, your standard sort of seven o'clock here in, in North America, like yeah. it's really hard to get, you know, down and asleep sleep by 10.
1: Well, and as an athlete too, I mean, you're playing night games, right? So how does that change for you when you guys are, You know, you're playing a game at 7 p.m. How does your sleep routine change there?
0: In season, what I go with is a full out, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. I try to get 90 minute cycles in as often as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to have what I call like super sleep sessions. So if we're on the road and we get in, you know, let's say we get into Boston uh, you know, for a devil's, you know, Bruins game. Um, you know, we let's say we land at three thirty, right? We practice in the morning, noon flight, whatever, get in at three thirty yeah. uh PM. I'll try to do maybe a snack if I get there right away. I, I probably ate lunch, so I'm not that hungry. Probably do a five o'clock dinner. You know, eat yeah. with the old people and yeah. try to <laughs> try to like be asleep by nine 15 and then because we're on the road. So this is kind of how I get ahead of it because we're on the road. We always have the later pregame skates with so the home team. I think it's at 10 30 and then usually the away team pregame skates at 11 30. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not, we're not busting over till nine, you know, and breakfast and everything's just right down, you know, on floor two or whatever. Um, yeah. So I'll throw my suit on go grab breakfast. I'll wake up at 8 a.m. You know, so if I can get a, a 9, 15, 9, 30 sleep shit session all the way down to 8, 8 a.m. Like I'm, I'm laughing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a great strategy to try to kind of bank a little bit of sleep when you can. Cause some great research by a guy named Dr. Ian Dunican out in Australia is showing that, you know, the night before a game athletes will often have compromised sleep quality, right? You got a bit of nerves and excitement and all that type of stuff. And then the night of a game, you know, you might be having a pregame or caffeine or things like that, and of course, that's gonna bleed into your sleep time. So you're basically trying to dig yourself out of that hole throughout the rest of the week. And you know, those are in sports where they play once a week, you know, like rugby or yeah. you know, American football. Whereas, you know, you guys, ice hockey, basketball, you're playing multiple games a week, so you're always you're always trying to dig yourself out of that little that little hole, right? It's 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 tough over the course of a long season. I mean, you guys must start to feel it as you get towards the back end, right?
0: Yeah, we do. If you look around the locker room after 10 NHL games, like there really is an impressive, uh, it's daunting. You got 70 something left and and, and more if you want to play in the playoffs. And, you know, I think the big one that you mentioned there was the caffeine pregame. I think it's pretty common to have the coffee habit and I'm super caffeine sensitive. So I've really tried to negotiate big coffee fan, but I've tried to either go decaf or with something like matcha a little bit lighter and caffeine load but yeah i don't know I, every year i feel like i say it's this is the last season i'm gonna be superstitious for sure and, <laughs> and then all of a sudden i'm wearing the
1: same and every year you're back you know same time and every
0: year i'm <laughs> back and every year i say i'm gonna <laughs> kill the caffeine so i'm gonna you know i'm accountable now it's on tape so you it's know we'll you say, go, Yeah, it's, we'll I mean, see. it's
1: all about finding the right amounts too and you know depending on what time you go to bed in season i mean it's but yeah it's tough isn't it I mean, you get a creature of habit You don't want to, your baseball players the same way, man. I grew up playing baseball. You got to, don't step on those lines when you're crossing into the field. Yeah.
0: God God knows what will happen. Baseball players, I think invented (laughs) superstition. Yeah, exactly. I think I I played baseball growing up and those guys were savages with their stuff. Like they, God, they made us, they made us hockey players look, sound normal. Really is what it is. Oh, for sure. Um, So in terms of sleep is, is beyond important um do you have any other horrifying stats on performance in terms of sleep loss any quickies
1: well i mean there's the ones around just intoxication like if you get i forget what the number is there's a great uh, another great researcher nora simpson out of uh, stanford over on the west coast and she's done a lot of research around cognitive function so you know you, you lack sleep your memory starts to decrease your uh executive function so problem solving all that stuff isn't so good but you know, after a certain amount, I don't know if it's less than six hours for a certain amount of days in a row, or maybe it was five hours, you're actually the same cognitive impairments as you would be if you were, you know, legally drunk. And that's when it's like, really? you know, it's like to that level of of impact. And so they've got these studies, even on like dart, you know, we're talking about athletes, professional dart players, you know, still qualify as athletes and less than five hours of sleep. You can actually see serving accuracy, you know, serving, you know, dart accuracy, is impaired. You see, tennis players' first serve accuracy impaired. So it's kind of the little things that you know. Those nights where you go out and you know, if you're a basketball player, the sh- you know your shot just doesn't feel the same. It's you, you know, you, it's not going down. Or if you're a nice hockey player, the puck just doesn't feel the same on the hands. Like those are the, those small margins that over the course of you know half a season, full season, getting to the playoffs, all that stuff starts to matter, right?
0: Well, that's how I think of when I'm trying to integrate something into my performance, whether it's a new skating technique or you know really trying to nail my one timer, all the way down to nutrition habits. High performance is reflexive; mm-hmm. like you don't have time to think about it out there. If it's not totally integrated, like like so in our game, you know Patrick Kane, for example, is the bona fide you know best puck handler in the world. Mm-hmm. That puck is not even if he's got a hundred percent of his brain capacity. I'm not even sure 1% of it is awarded to trying to maintain yeah. location of that puck, which means he has so much more of his wherewithal to identify obstacles, to maintain speed, to worry about his ski. It, it's, it really yeah, is impressive. And that's right? where, and that's where the sleep game I think comes, you know, so close. It's so much a part of it is that you're always going to work hard. You're always going to train hard as an athlete, but it's like, yeah. that's what gives you that gas in the tank. It's what makes the hard day feel easier in comparison when you come back to the same training exercise or whatever, you know, time and time again.
1: That's the thing, man. It's like watching the 100-meter sprints, right? It looks like Usain Bolt's speeding away from everybody at the end of 100 meters, but he's not, right? They're all slowing down. He's just slowing down a lot less slow than everybody else, which makes it look like he's accelerating past everyone. And that's like it is for you guys. And basketball's the same. You know, he just got through the bubble in the NBA playoffs. Like, you just got to, you know, keep trying to decelerate as as you know, the least you can. And then everybody else, the pack just starts to, just starts to fade. And, and guys were, you know, look like a guy like LeBron. I mean, it's no accident that that guy's working on his body and the nutrition and the sleep and everything else. And at 35, I mean, you know, 35, yeah, he's 36. Like, he's like it's, Megatron. It, he, it's it's he's, crazy, right? I mean,
0: he might play till he's 50. He's <laughs> he might play at least 50. I mean, him and Nadal winning
1: on the same weekend. I mean, Nadal is the same, uh, right? You see these, you see great talents, but you see this work ethic that's, you know, ridiculous. I mean, to, to only lose twice in a decade and a half at a tournament, it's pretty good, right?
0: You know, we used, to, uh, I played for, uh, Mike Babcock in Toronto, who you might know just from, you know, spending mm-hmm. some time there. He's got a, mm-hmm. he's got a big name and, um, he used to have this, I don't know if it was like a saying or story. He would talk about training camp where he would sort of challenge, um, or maybe, maybe it was a development camp. I listened to him talk at a video and he was, he was ta- yeah, that's what it was. He was talking on YouTube to like a development camp group of prospects. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to them about how hard you got to work and, you know, how hungry you have to be to, to try and steal, steal a spot in the national hockey league. And he, and he looks at the kids in the eyes. He's a you know, really strong public speaker. And he's yeah. like, because they feed those fam- their families with that job, that, that 35 year old, who's got 600 games, he wants a thousand. Yeah, yeah. And there's no way he's going to give you the next 400. Like these are grown men trying to protect their legacies and their quality of life. You better mean it when you step yeah. on the ice for, for main camp against some of these guys. And that's, these guys won't go easy into that night. You know, the, the Federer's <laughs> and the Dolls and the LeBron's, oh no, like they, they want to they keep the harbor for themselves.
1: Especially when they got that kind of pride and it's uh, it's funny you mentioned babcock because that was one of the stories i shared from jensen who talked about babcock in the 2010 olympic games and talking about pressure right and it's like you know pressure is a privilege right all the guys right. who aren't in this or aren't in this dressing room getting ready for the gold medal game they've got no pressure right so what do you want no pressure or do you want to be in the in the changing room for the gold medal game right and it's it's amazing how you know, I'm sure obviously the work that you guys do with that mindset piece of just flipping things on their head and saying, no, oh, this is, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing it for and really embracing it. Cause I mean, even at the highest level, we talk about sports like golf or tennis, where there's so much, you know, you talk about reflexive, all well, those sports, there's so much time to think about things, you know, like you go That's between shots. I mean, you just have a chance to just go over and over. And so it's amazing that, um, you know, you could see the the young golfers coming through now, all these young talents that you know, you used to have to be 30, 35 before you could actually win consistently on the PGA tour. Now you got guys are 19, 20, 21, right. Cause they're committing to that kind of stuff from a really young age. And it's amazing to see, uh, you know, you see, I mean, a guy like Bryson DeChambeau comes out and decides to change the length of his clubs. He puts 40 pounds on cause he's done yeah, I the lot He figures out that, well, if I hit it longer, you know, I'd rather have a pitching wedge out of the rough than a six or five iron. And I mean, credit to him, man. Forty pounds, twenty pounds of muscle, hitting it forty yards past guys at the U.S. Open, and you know, it just goes to show you. There's different ways to do it, and it's amazing to see. Yeah, this kind of sleep, nutrition, recovery, training, all these things you can really maximize now to to, to leverage that performance.
0: Well, when I think of your four pillars, health, nutrition, recovery, mindset, like the the two, and I'll, I'll throw sleep in the health. Eh, maybe it's in the yeah. recovery, but I would say sleep and the mindset to me. Are the two most that I focus on most? Because when it comes to nutrition, I'm not sure you can like eat your way to elite performance. You can definitely eat your way to bad performance with alcohol in yeah. that, you know. But you're not all of a sudden going to upgrade your nervous system because you pound a bunch of arugula. Like, it's definitely a favor, <laughs> yeah. right? It's definitely a favor. Um, but I also find yeah. with that one, there's going to be natural regressions to the means. There's going to be anniversaries. There's going to be birthdays, you know, and, and, maybe you're the type of person to pass those up. Maybe you're not, you know, but they are oddities, uh, recovery wise. I couldn't believe like in the Jordan documentary, this guy's playing 18 holes in between playoff games. You know, I'm like a round yeah, of golf is time, fatiguing. Right? I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> like it's,
1: I don't care if you're a, around. He took, he took a cart.
0: <laughs> you
1: know? Um,
0: but when I think of, Mindset and sleep; those are really the two big ones. Where, because I've experienced it both ways, where I think I'm a pretty good player. I know I'm a pretty good player. I've slept uh, poorly for nights on end. It's a it's a tough road trip. Yeah, and I'm just I, I'm just I'm not as good. I'm not as good as I normally am. And instead of a dominant mindset, instead of I'm going to get after this game, you you do go a little bit into you know. I'm going to get through the first five minutes, yeah, play, play safe right? and, and get into the game, get into the flow of the game. You know, um, you're not playing scared, but you're, you're definitely playing safe, which is yeah. it's, it's close, you know, cousin yes. maybe. Yeah. And then mindset I think is that other one. Like I've played, you know, I've, I've gotten on the ice for games where, you know, particularly younger, my when I was younger in my career, um, where I knew it was a big game, whatever. And I had just taken pregame skate like four hours ago hands felt good, feet felt good. And all of a sudden you get out there for the, for the game. And you're like, where was that guy four hours? Like, I don't feel like myself, you know, I'm, I'm I'm getting small in the moment. Um, So when you take an athlete and you try and discuss some of these mindset um, topics, like what is your goal in some of your athletes? And you can, you can give a personal story. You don't have to use a a name um, if you don't want to, but
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing with these things is when we talk about them, we try to describe them as like, you know, the sleep bucket or the recovery, but all these things are like loops that are all talking to one another. Right. So for example, sleep, like if you start getting less than seven hours of sleep, even night after night, you're about three times more likely to get sick. Just getting sick derails your performance, right? Yeah. We know now in the research, just the symptoms that you get, scratchy throat, all that stuff. That's enough to start to derail your ability to perform. You sleep less than six hours a night. Now you're four and a half times more likely to get sick. So we see a connection to kind of immunity and recovery. But on the mindset piece, you don't get enough sleep. All of a sudden, it's harder for you to disengage from negative thoughts. So to your point of like, I'm on the ice, I'm not scared, but I'm not as engaged. It's like, we're not able to get into that same mindset, that same, you know, typical frame of reference that we have. And so all these things start interconnecting the same with, you know, on the nutrition side, you know, like you mentioned, we're not going to make somebody an NHL player just by what we feed them. But amongst all the NHL players, with that same analogy of trying to get to the end of this marathon, we could certainly help with the things like the recovery, the immunity, you know, glucose control, these things that help with really keeping you sharp. So you don't have big highs and big lows. And, you know, I think that's where it gets interesting because it is such a small, you know, sort of small margins to, um, to take on. And with, you know, with hockey, I mean, you guys are hitting each other, which increases the caloric demand too, which is often we don't think about, right? And so- how so? Because I know, I you know, I check my aura
0: ring and things like that for the caloric man, demand of a day. I used to take it off for games and then I couldn't figure out why I was sleeping every night and my recovery scores that I was still in the 90s after, yeah, after yeah. I'm like, well, because I didn't wear it for the entire, you know, thing of tonight, but uh, game of tonight. But how does... How does impact sort of affect the caloric demands or nutritional demands, you know, on the body? Cause I don't think there's, I know a ton of, of, about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that a lot of the original research done on rugby players, right? So you got the like big guys like in American football uh, playing like the line and then you got the wingers, the, the speed guys on the outside. And when they track the amount of ground they cover, you figure, well, these guys who are running around the outside are covering almost twice as much ground, right? So surely they need more calories. Um, but, you know, they're using gold standard techniques and when they run the numbers, all the physical contact, the amount of effort involved in pushing somebody back and taking the blow from somebody else and the acceleration, the deceleration, that actually costs you more calories than it does to do a lot of those runs. And so this is where when we look at, you know, fueling, uh, you know, hockey player, you know, there's going to be some days where the, the the amount of, you know, calories, carbohydrates, these types of things are going to be. So high that naturally you would never kind of eat that much, like unless someone told yeah. you, "Hey, you got to actually take this shake, eat this, and then eat this again." You know, you might think, "Well, actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty full. I'm okay." But those are the types of things that we can start to mine now with all the the data you get from, you know, training load and all that type of stuff that we can then start to better personalize and say, "You know what? We're hitting a compressed schedule here. We got more games in a shorter amount of time, which means that you're not going to be able to replenish." The carbohydrates and those fast twitch fibers the ones that really make you explode and so we're actually going to need to get eight grams per kilo of carbohydrate you know and to get that you know this is where it's kind of nice for the chefs and for the players like we got to eat dessert tonight or we got to have this shake or this you know it's not bad to have you know this is where sometimes and we get this with chefs a lot is they always want to have athletes eating clean all the time which of course we want you know a real food diet but you know sometimes we need more calories and more fuel And so if we're only putting broccoli on the fire, we don't have enough logs. You know, we got to, we got to some days we got to load it up with other things. And so those are some of the nuances that come over the course of, you know, a season. And because, you know, elite athletes like yourself, you, you know, the mindset is such that you can push through things it becomes sometimes harder to flag, right? Because no one's going to say, well, I really feel, geez, I'm feeling pretty beat up where we just keep going and going, but we're missing some of these small pieces that can just raise the playing feel a little bit so that you do feel like you got that little bit of extra boost when you're trying to drop the drop the hammer to, you know, to pass somebody on a on a wing or to play a back-to-back or whatever it might be, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. And it's something that I've even considered in my Pre like main camp training where because every player's gone through it where you train all summer long on a normal summer, you get like three to five months, depending on your playoff, you know, exit. Yeah. Um, on COVID, you just get an infinite amount of time. You can just train yourself in your oblivion. But <laughs> <laughs> besides the point. Um and you know, you kind of right before training camp, guys, I mean you train so hard, you're doing all the skating. Uh, you know a lot of like bag skating we call it you're in the gym and you get to the first day of training camp and you get your ass handed to you anyway and as a player it's maddening right like I just prayed my strength coach whatever to go get me ready and and I I trust that he did a great job you know yeah Uh, I I'm I'm working with a nutritionist I'm I'm eating like a NASCAR driver you know like a NASCAR car (laughs) you know I'm putting nothing but you know great fuel in there um but I think it's a little bit of that contact piece where I'm trying, I'm going to try and implement as low risk as possible, but I, it's almost like, what's the greater risk going into training camp with no contact and now having this huge jump in, you know, caloric and, and nervous system demand, yeah. or is there a greater risk when I can be in control of the drill, but still implement some physicality and some bite?
1: It's a great question, man. I mean, we're seeing that now in the NFL, right? It's like, all right, we're not going to have a preseason. We've already got less contact in the last few seasons than we normally do. How are we going to respond? And now all of a sudden, you know, not surprising to a lot of people, we're seeing a lot of injuries. And it's like, can we, you know, we talk, experts, recovery experts like Shona Halson in Australia, we talk about recovery being important, but like we can get to a point where we're recovering too much, right? Like there's just not enough... To your point, blows like there's
0: none we, of stress. We need,
1: we need to have the, this kind of stressor throughout, and so uh, again, that's a really fine line, right? I mean, that's the million-dollar question that everyone's trying to figure out. Because with all the advances in sleep recovery, nutrition, etc., why do we still have the injury rate? Then is it just because players are bigger, faster, stronger, or are we, you know, are we kind of missing something here? Because you go back to a guy like Michael Jordan. I mean, he played every single game, and he, and he, you know, he every single game he was going after it like it was. Game seven, you know. I mean, and so this is where, you know, you wonder. You
0: wonder if it's almost like it's gonna. I I wonder, like a pendulum, if 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 we're just on the swing the other way, where we're in game management. Hockey, hockey is not doing game management. Like guys are playing every Mm -hmm. night, but on the same token, like, you know. So, so, for example, I used to be the type where it didn't matter rain, snow, sleet, or shine. Like I was doing extra after practice because that's the way mm. my dad raised me. And that's what I believe was the best for my career. Yeah. Pe- period. Yep. Now I'll get up and maybe my Aura Ring score says, and this is not an ad for Aura Ring, but I do like using it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I keep using it. But, but, you know, okay, if it tells me, you know, I'm in the 60s, hey, you know, maybe you're due for recovery day today, but I've still got you know, weight training, ice training. Maybe I just won't do a little bit. I won't do all of the extra. I'll do some of the extra. Yeah. And I wonder if we're gonna pendulum back where athletes are gonna get super smart, but still have some of that. I don't know, there's no other way I can coin it, like old school resiliency or just that bull headedness where almost like how jordan had in his contract like he had his contract insured where he could play anywhere no matter what for like for the love of the game was the like stipulation you know Uh, where he he wasn't going to turn down and and not try in mm. uh in a freestyle game you know because he was michael jordan
1: but yeah i mean there's a couple interesting things there. i mean with the aura ring it's interesting with even just your heart rate right your resting heart rate when you sleep so for guys and this goes for anybody athlete coach guy working downtown, gal, you know, you have a glass of wine before bed, heart rate goes up five, six, seven beats, right? Have two glasses of wine before bed, heart rate goes up 12, 15 beats, right? Drink the whole bottle of wine before bed, heart rate goes up 25, 30 beats all night long, right? And so you can see that as a kind of stressor. And so even just checking the heart rate can give you some noise, you know, the following morning, what's your, what's your resting heart rate? Well, if it's up past 10 beats, maybe you are catching a little bit of a, your body's fighting off a cold, right? Cause even if you have a, you know, cold or a flu, the, the prodrome, the buildup can be seven days long. Like it can be in you for seven days before you actually get your first symptoms. And this is where you might feel tired or run down or scratchy throat, you know, and that's to your point where we got to listen a little bit to our in, intuition and say, you know what, today, actually, I'm going to back off a little bit or we're just going to do the recovery piece. Um, And then the other piece I like you mentioned there is around just, yeah, the mindset. I mean, go another sport, you know, when I was growing up, Cal Ripken was a shortstop for the Orioles. He played for like 13 years and never missed a game, but it was, you know, the expectation was to your point, you're going to show up every day and play. Like, and and what I find fascinating is that technology gives us a lot of advantages, but is it sometimes opening up a window that says, Hey, maybe we should, you know, there's like this almost a window of doubt that can come in. Whereas if you're just tunnel vision to something, it can start to, you have a feeling of certainty, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, if now if we're wondering, is it right? Is it wrong to do this or that? I think this is where we're trying to figure out you know, how we can apply some of the technology because we know now if we if we even lie and say, hey, this score tells you you're not recovering well, you'll run slower, even though it's bullshit. And if we lie to you and say, hey, look, this is a great score, you're looking good. And then all of a sudden you, boom, you're off. And so there's, you know, the central governor is still the brain. And so how do we... You know how how do we find that piece that can keep people going? I think that's a really key part for how any individual uses technology, right? Because for you, something might give you a boost and a lift, and for somebody else, it might actually give them like a almost like a stress or an anxiety, right? They might start wondering about it, and so I think I find that fascinating because it's you know you get a bunch of guys on a hockey team or basketball team, even how we deliver nutrition, like people respond in, in different ways, right? It's the same information.
0: So when you think to some of the best athletes that you've worked with, and I'm trying to really highlight the points that, that differentiate one from the next mindset wise in particular, because I think that's the real, I think that's the real X factor with a lot of these um, high performers, other than the fact that maybe their, their talent set and their nervous systems a little bit better from the start. Um, mm-hmm. What do you see when you work with these type of, of caliber of athletes? And again, you don't have to use any names, but, what are some of the differentiators at, at the pro level, you know, so amongst the best, what are some of the differentiators that you've, you've found?
1: I mean, I think it's, I mean, obviously a lot of things, but there's just that single mindedness, right? Just a bit of that, uh, you know, probably topical now, that mama mentality of like, this is what I need to accomplish. Or even Jimmy Butler in the finals, like this type of player who's, you know, why is he waking up at 4.30 in the morning? We just talked about sleep. It might not be a good thing for sleep. He might be cutting into his sleep. But it's interesting when they talk about the kind of mindset you need to get up at that time to be ready to work hard. And how even the players on that team I think he had a story where they're talking about one of the guys was staying at his place and he's staying up playing video games, right? It's like nine, nine, nine thirty, ten o'clock. And Jimmy says to him, you know, I think they were getting up early. He says, you know, three 30 comes around pretty quick when you're, when you're playing video games and all of a sudden he goes to bed at 1130 or 12 and he's just ruined the next day. Right. And so, all, you know, now these other behaviors change, guys go to bed earlier. There's an expectation. So I think that sort of that level of commitment to something where you're going to take it, to that next level because you're already elite amongst elite right and so you know that's that's one aspect i think in other aspects you do see you know in basketball in particular you know it's a sport where if you're six foot eight and got a 44 inch vertical leap and you're pretty fast i mean you know you've got good odds right i mean yeah so do you need to be doing x y or z Right. If you've got this natural ability, natural talent, you can get a long way without thinking about things. And so this is where sometimes players don't learn their lessons until they have an injury, until something doesn't go their way, you know, and, and that's, you know, that can, that's a challenge as well, especially when you feel like whatever domain a practitioners working in, whether it's nutrition or a coach or a performance therapist, you know, you feel like you can, you can influence and sup- improve this person's game, but you know, they're not having it. And, um, and I'd probably say the last one is is on the, the side of things where we get, and this happens in any domain in life where you, you know, we start to make excuses for things. So maybe you have an athlete trying to make it to a certain level and they're looking for support and something doesn't go their way. Right. And then there's, you know, there's, there's two sort of avenues that you can go. And this is where you definitely see the, the mindset piece around kind of facing challenges head on and trying to figure out how to overcome the obstacle and using the resources around you to say, Hey, I I didn't achieve this, but who, you know, who who around me or part of my team or part of the organization can help me overcome this versus the guys who say, you know what, that guy didn't do enough. You know, that person over there should have helped me with this. I don't think that player should be, you know, there's, we all of a sudden we start blaming. Right. And, and that's a real fork in the road where you start to see those athletes who start blaming a lot, you know, not staying in the that top level for as long as the guys who just decide to embrace the challenge and say, Hey, you know, obviously everyone's a su- super, you know, an all-star superstar up until that top level. But at that level, there's going to be challenges that maybe athletes have never faced before. Right? Like yeah, you're not, maybe you're coming off the bench, all time, gonna, yeah. you know, and so how do, how do we deal with that? And I think that's where, to your point, mindset, right? How, what kind of mindset do we have? Because if all your confidence is wrapped up in, you know, that identity of yourself as that star, then who are you then if you're coming off the bench, right? All of a sudden you kind of strips you of your, what you believe to be your identity, right? And some guys take advantage of that and say, Hey, I'm going to rebuild, you know, and other guys, it's tough.
0: Yeah. I think that the key word there is identity. Cause that's something I've tried to you know, dance with in my career, because, you know, I, I've been, I've been there. I've, I've been the athlete growing up where I, I've I've been really successful. I was really successful at the American League. I was an offensive defenseman. I, I was a guy that scored points. I was a power mm. play quarterback. You know, uh, I break in the NHL with the Washington Capitals, who... You know, gosh, uh, you know between John Carlson and Mike Green, like we were, and, and Alex Ovechkin, we were loaded. You know, with all right-shot power-play mm. guys. Like that was not how I was going to make the club. Mm. And so I've had to, you know, do some soul searching, and 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 I try to restructure. Am I the type of player? Am I the type of defenseman that can renegotiate what I do well? Can I uh, become more versatile while also not getting Lost in doing nothing, in doing everything and nothing well. You know what mm, I mean, and, yeah. and and still maintaining some of that identity. And that's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing for particular for young pros to go through. I think when they're asked to change role, um, or or you know change what they're asked to bring every day, but. I, To be fair, I do think the modern athlete gets the why answered a lot more than the old school athlete. The old school Mm. athlete was, you know, told to shut up, sit down and do your job a lot, (laughs) you know, which, which, you know, hey, it's it's an alpha, you know, culture a lot of times. and, And, you know, that's that's how it goes for a lot, you know, in pro sport. But. I do feel, you know, the modern athlete, we get the why and we get some of the buy-in explained to us. I just think, yeah. you know, coaches have had to evolve and, and we're the benefactor of, of that, of, of dealing with higher end leaders. Um, but I do it from nutrition on down. Like, am I the type of person that can go to, you know, the birthday party and still eat within my guidelines? You know, can I be the type of person that can sit down at a dinner, you know, and, and maybe have... Ideally the zero glasses of wine, but let's say I had one and everyone orders a second. And I go last. Am I the type of person that can say no? And usually I'm pretty good. Like I, as particularly on the nutrition front, I have no problem being the goofy or, you know, being the freak <laughs> at the table. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, but really it's in the, it's more so in the performance space. Am I the type of person, like you said, that can play well when tired? Am I the type of person that it can, it can accept and endure hard coaching and welcome it? Yeah. You know, and, and I wouldn't say, you know, every time my career, I can, I can say that there were times that, you know, I really struggled and, and, you know, not getting that outside, yeah, that, that outside acceptance
1: and support and, and, you know. Um, well, I mean, it's a big thing as well. The uh, like, even personality traits are pretty cemented, right? And so it's like, when we talk about even identity, it's like, as a person, even if you're a 26 year old person who work in downtown Toronto or wherever, like, what are your, if we can't really change our personality, what, what are our values, right? Like what values do we really identify with? And most most people, even if they're 30, 40, 50, don't take the time to kind of think about their own sort of personal philosophy. What are the things that are, you know, what, what things do I value? And having a real um, clear vision of those things, because, you know, what I hear a lot of performance psychologists talk about, you know, if you understand your values, no one can take your values away from you. It right? doesn't matter what happens to you on the team, what happens to you in any situation in life. Your values are always going to be your values, but we don't really take the time to really explore those. And when you do, you feel more. You know, for anybody, you feel like you have more control over things because otherwise, you know that, that example we used before of the player who has this confidence and for the first time it's sort of taken away. Now it's almost like you're left with you're reaching it. You know, what, what am I? Right, and I think I think that's really important because you know the reason why we're talking about a lot of mindset here i think mindset and nutrition you know dovetail pretty tightly right in terms of mm-hmm. how we can how we can influence people why they take on board certain advice how far they're willing to go you know with things and and also you know, the idea we don't want people to be perfect right i mean Hey, the German national team in the 2018 Olympics used non-alcoholic beer to rehydrate the team, right? <laughs> I <laughs> love that. <laughs> it's, more, it's more hydrating um. than water, right? It's got polyphenols, it's got vitamins, and when they asked the team doc why why this over that, he's like, "Because I know they'll drink it," right? Done. Perf- perfect. Right. And Compliance, So those are the yeah. kind of solutions that we can, you know, we got to find ways to get the job done, and it's like it doesn't always have to be, like, you know, finger wagging to say, "Hey, you got to do this, got to do that," you know, we create the environment and. and let the guys run with it. And apparently they were well hydrated in, uh, in 2018.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. I was, uh, one of the things I've tried to do in my career is, is go to where, go to learn, um, where people might have a particular affinity or level of experience with something. So for example, when it comes to failure, we're talking about baseball or they're like, Baseball is a game of failure. It's something you're trained as a kid. You know, if you fail seven out of 10 times, you're a hall of famer, right? Like that's kind of the famous cliche. Yeah. I I forget the gentleman's name. I I got to look back on Instagram. He's a sports uh, psychologist for the Seattle Mariners. And he was, he hosted a call with his guys and he asked, they prompted the question, what is failure in the course of a 162 game, you know, normal season. I mean, gosh, like, it's that's pretty wide open when you think of it and uh they left with the decision with the thought process that failure is leaving the process that you have committed to you know prior to Mm -hmm. adversity uh that you wanted to stick with It, it is just simply leaving what you knew in your right mind would give you the best opportunity at sustained success and i was talking with my buddy uh john hayden who just signed with the arizona coyotes the other day about this topic and I, I loved it. Cause that when I, I can think back to, you know, healthy scratches in my career to, you know, uh, surgical operations that I've had done. And yeah, you know, you, you remember like, you know, as an individual when you started to waver on that process, you know exactly what your intent was every day to get better was, and you know, the exact moment that less than your best was given.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's amazing how human it is too. Right. When you go back thousands and thousands of years, you know, what's the famous uh, kind of Taoist quote, you know, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, <laughs> chop wood, carry water, right? It's, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like, either way you're going to do it. So you got to really love the process because that's, you know, whether you're a huge success, whether you're fighting your, your tail off, if, if you love the process, you're still going to be doing that thing anyway, right? So it's it's a kind of a weird way to wrap your head around it, but it's, it, it almost takes the pressure off in some respects, right? Because it's like, really if, you, if you really love the grind you know, it's, it's the, the outcome is going to take care of it. So focus on the behavior, focus on the, the thing you can control, right? Cause outcome, we can't always control like right? to your point, like, Hey, coach is playing me, not playing me. We got, you know, different circumstances on the team. You know, all those things are not within an athlete's control.
0: So when you do think of, you know, where you're at on the sports science side and and, and the team that you're a part of, you know, what is, what do you think the future is? for Sports science, whereas because we're in the technology world, we're in the wearables, we're trying to track sleep, we're trying to get players to weigh their food. That's not always the easiest. I try to do it, it's sometimes it's a pain in yeah. the ass, but <laughs> yeah, you sure. know, but are you the type of person where it's a pain in the ass? <laughs> you know, it <that laughs> brings us full circle <laughs> identity. But where do you think what gets you excited about what's next for sports science and and really what is human development? Right? We're just trying to develop healthy, resilient, strong humans who happen to be elite 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 in their respective uh you know sports and trades
1: yeah I mean a great question man I mean I think to answer it first from my domain I mean in terms of nutrition I think you know the next level really you see now a lot of players having their own chefs and things like that and of course teams have their own chefs but this idea of really you know chefs working with performance nutritionists to really start to tailor what's delivered right because oftentimes you know, a chef is preparing great food and tasty food and wonderful food, but it's, you know, some of those points that we talked about before of, of the amounts of fueling at certain times, et cetera. You know, that it really starts to pay dividends when, you know, you've got two heads there, one on the science side and one on the food side, which is great marriage. Because then the mm-hmm. athlete is great. They just have to show up and eat it. Right. It's fantastic. Um, so I think that's a big area that's going to, you know, you see guys like Cristiano Ronaldo and some of these guys who are playing for you know, like the LeBron James, these long careers. And so I think that's going to be an area that's going to continue to be more accessible for more people. Um, and then I think, you know, the mindset piece is just, I think, you know, sleep, recovery, training, we're always, we're still going to, there's always going to be gains to be, to be made there, especially on the training front with around injury mitigating injuries, you know? Um, but I think that, I think the the mindset piece is huge. And in between, not just the performance mindset of how do we get guys to, to really unlock their potential when they're playing. But even on the, if we zoom this right back to, we started this conversation around sleep, you know, human health. I mean, we talk about mental health, right. The NBA now we see, we see increasing periods of, of anxiety and low mood in very young athletes. Right. So something that was unheard of previously. Um, And, you know, Again, things like technology are wonderful, but there's, there's an impact here. And so how do we, how do we support athletes to not only perform their best, but also to just be, you know, not only healthy people, happy people, that whole collection, right? Because I think from the fan standpoint, they just think of elite athletes as almost like robots, right? You just go out and they're just going to, they're going to kill it every time they're going to, but at the end of the day, we know that, you know athletes are people too and so we how do we how do we support all those areas so that guys can have you know the kind of careers that they want you know we see even in you know the the german national team last last world cup when they won the world cup they had the young squad that looked like they were going to be you know generations to come and you got multiple players who decided to retire in their 20s and so you know there's this whole bit of a shift there and so i think i think there's a good um you know for me those are those are two areas i'm sure if you have somebody with a different slant they might give you a few different ones but the technology i love i think it's more around there's so much noise you know how do we find the right signal how do we find the thing that's actually telling us what we need versus we can collect so many things now that it can create more questions than answers and it can it can lead us astray and so really honing in on the on the pieces for that individual athlete that are you know these are the 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 important parts for me that's going to impact the bottom line versus, you know, collecting everything under the sun and then, you know, going in too many different directions, right? And then without really leveraging a lot of that information.
0: Yeah, I think the, because when I think of hockey, hockey went through this renaissance where training was kind of the big one. You know, hockey players used to kind of <laughs> zip their bag up in maybe the 80s and 90s. and And if you talk to these guys, they'll say they train, but just not like today, you know, it's a little bit more Rocky style, running hills and things like that, which is, (laughs) you know, still, still, still great. But, you know, they used to kind of unzip their bag in August and go out and play. Well, now, you know, everyone's got their strength coach. Fine. Um, Then there's kind of been the addition of like the video analysis. Guys, guys have their own skills coaches and that's gotten really common. And when I think about, you know, the mental side, you know, I've dealt with an anxiety disorder since I was really young and I had a conversation with my functional medicine practitioner and she goes, you know, Connor, she goes, every time you get on the ice and it's and it's full go and, and your body maybe thinks it's getting chased by lions and you're getting hit and maybe you got asked to fight and maybe you said yes, maybe you said no, you know, maybe mm. you won the fight, maybe you lost, maybe you're thinking about the fact that you won or lost the fight after, you know, whatever. Mm. And she goes, so you live in this world of intensity and she kind of gave me this scare story. She goes, you know, I have a lot of clients that uh, were like stock pickers and on wall street, you know, super yeah. high stress jobs and, and, you know, dealing with other people's money. And, and she goes, and uh, their nervous systems were so primed after years of trading that Connor, they're, they're sipping Mai ties retired in Puerto Rico and Florida and, the, and they still can't take a deep breath. They still wake up every day Just like the lions. And and she's like, because they downloaded it. They downloaded that this is how they're going to live. And she's like, and if you do not want to put in these reps with you can call it quality sleep, you can call it meditation. You can call it doing things that are fun that aren't, you know, uh, performance-based or challenge-based. If you're not going to begin to introduce this, like your nervous system's not going to know what that is in 10, 15 years when you're hanging them up and you're not going to figure out while you're still worked up almost as if it's game day, you know, six months after you hang up to skates, 12 months, 18, 24. And it was kind of a, she talked to me like a coach, what? <laughs> like yeah, you yeah, better yeah, yeah. Like, do this or we're gonna, have, <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, you know, you better meditate, <laughs> you know, but um, it's she kind of gave it to I mean,
1: me. It's a great point. Cause yeah, just going from that level to then back to, you know, regular life of down here, you know, when that's that steep a change, you know, you see it in a lot of athletes in retirement, right? So it's, it's a good point, not only for your longevity, but then, yeah, for health when you're, you know, when you're finished your career and you want to land that plane nice and <laughs> nice and steady and instead of, uh, you know.
0: Well, and I think of even with the the Last Dance, the Jordan documentary, and I'm, I keep using that because it's, I, I don't watch a ton of basketball, but I know you've seen it. So it's, it's oh, common yeah. ground. It's common oh, ground man, for us. Yeah. But like, I love the mama mentality. I love the, you know, the uh, Michael Jordan, you know, but. When I'm watching that film or that documentary, you know, I'm not at this point in my career a bona fide superstar. I'm not going to go down mm-hmm. as the Kobe Bryant of hockey as it as it stands, mm-hmm. you know. But one of the guys that I really looked up to, and that was Steve Kerr. And if 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 mm. that's what I think of the mental performance, is yes, there to be that Kobe Bryant, you do have to you have to be built that way mentally. You know, uh, Michael Jordan, you have to have that stubborn will but that also can show up in a different form with players down the lineup with the depth guys, with the bench guys, you know, in your lineup, can they have that unwavering commitment to craft that the superstars do? And I I think it oftentimes those guys are even more mentally strong a lot of times in in hockey for sure. Um, But that's something that I really try to get competitive with. Like, can I be the most poised depth demon in the NHL. Can I be the most calm, you know, uh player who's going to play 14 minutes tonight, not 25.
1: Absolutely. And that's where you almost see things like emotional intelligence being more of a quality. When we look at guys who are, you know, supporting the team coming off the bench, because it's almost like you have to be even more perceptive of kind of the emotion of the team and where you're coming in and the kind of energy you're trying to bring versus that, you know, when we're talking MJ or Kobe, they kind of they get to just stay in this lane that's there and they kinda they're gonna get away with it because of their talent level, but you know, other players can't be doing that because it's not gonna necessarily gonna gel with with when they're coming on the ice or coming on the court. And being able to 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 be one of those mesh guys that that brings you know, it's great now we have it with metrics, you know, the plus minus, like you might not be able to how many goals or assists, but it's like when this guy's on the ice this is how the team plays or when this guy's on the court, this is those are the kind of metrics that it's nice. We have a metric for now because before, you know, we say he's a good team player, things like that, but it's amazing how one player can actually lift everybody else on the team without necessarily the stat sheet going up, you know, significantly, apart from we look at some of the things like plus minus. So it's a yeah, really interesting uh, area.
0: Yeah. I always love when, when people kind of bring up the superstar You know, story or anecdote, or like you know, Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan. He was, he was oh for ten in the first half, and he just kept going to the three because you know they (laughs) they love that stubbornness. And I'm like. He kept going to the three cause he's paid 25 million and they're not taking him off the floor. I'm yeah. like, you know, go to the, you know, the five, six, seven guys on, on the court and see if they want to take that 11 three, you know, they're going to find a different yeah. way to add value that night. They're going to go to the layup. They're going to go to, they're going to go to and something. That's the
1: thing. It's more stressful for like, even when you look at like big companies, right? The middle management has way more stress than the CEO cause they don't know the information that's coming down. And same with like a, when you're coming off the bench or you're a role player, like you said, like I, I'm going to get my three or four shots tonight, but if I miss them, does that mean I'm not going to touch the ball again? You know, like there's a, then I got to decide how I'm going to take this next play. Like there's a lot more uh, contextual appreciation that you need versus just that like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put up my 30 anyway, (laughs) whether I make them or not, you know?
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I really like that. So Dr. Bob's, I want to be respectful of your time. we got a couple minutes left in terms of, some of your pillars when you first start working with an athlete um, where will you be most, most curious on what you can implement, you know, where kind of what's your first sort of intake oftentimes with an athlete, when you get your hands on them. Um, and then just, I you know, I guess anecdotally, like what gets you most excited about the job that you're able to do day in, day out.
1: Yeah. I mean with athletes, it's just, you know, it's, it's going over every area and really seeing where the, you know, where some of the biggest gaps are, you know, and it's going to be different for different players. Um, you know, there's a guy caffeinating through the roof and, and then, you know, his nervous system shot and he's not sleeping well. Is somebody not fueling appropriately? You know, we're trying to, most of the time trying to raise the playing field, you know, rather than trying to make somebody excel at one certain thing in nutrition, it's like, how can we just raise the tide up high enough so that we're going to get a benefit across the board. And so by going through everything through, you know, sleep recovery training how they fuel you know that gives us some insights of course you can running you know blood tests and things like that give you a snapshot under the hood as well and so from there you can get a picture of okay we think this you know these are the areas we can focus on to just you know upgrade from that sense yeah i mean helping helping people right i mean this is where whether it's an athlete whether it's somebody who's trying to do a personal best or run their first marathon whether it's somebody trying to reverse type 2 diabetes you know taking somebody from this is my goal and being able to just support them through that to achieving the goal i mean it's it's awesome right i mean it's the, as an ex-athlete it's the closest thing you get to be to kind of getting that competitive fire of saying hey this is we take somebody from here we support them to there and then they get to you know play a small role and that's so uh it's great
0: that's awesome well dr Bob's, thanks for uh for all your time today and for joining us all the way from london first uh i think overseas podcast i've had so this was awesome hey, uh where go, can man. people Appreciate find it. you if they want to find more information i know you got your book peak um and then you've got your
1: podcast yeah so if they, uh you know i got a i got a great last funny last name so there you go at dr bubs on all the social media and drbubbs.com on the on the website and if you're you know if you're interested in performance nutrition you can check out the performance nutrition podcast and lots of great content straight from the the experts and the phds right in the you know doing all the research in the lab so you can you can check that out as well
0: That was awesome. Thanks for your time today and uh, wish you all the best. Appreciate it, bud.
1: You too, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Doc.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening today to the Curious Competitor Podcast. Thank you to Dr. Mark Bubbs for uh, sharing his time today with us. First podcast guest, I think, I've had uh, from overseas, which is super cool. He was podcasting with us uh, at at nighttime. It was 10 p.m. when we started over in London. Three takeaways I want to highlight today. Uh, in our conversation with Dr. Bubbs, number one was this concept of nomophobia, this fear of being without our phone. I think I've done it where I'm checking my pocket when I know I've left my phone at home on purpose. I think that these contraptions offer great good. This technology offers great good in in some of the simplicity and, and ease and convenience in our life, whether it's scheduling, uh, ordering food off Uber Eats, whatever it may be. Uh, but I do think there's something there uh, where we're always anticipating, you know, a little bit of a high from a notification on our phone. And I am i know personally, I'm going to go back to the old school alarm clock. I think that uh, I've always been using my phone as an alarm. But after our conversation today, I think I'm really going to commit to uh, kicking it old school with an alarm clock. Number two, one of the things I'm going to do after our podcast today is really try to be more consistently conscientious of what my values are as a person and as a as a performer as a player uh, and really trying to go inward and and hold true to the identities and values that i want to uphold as a teammate uh, day in day out and i think this really empowers the process in in a world that is so obsessed with results and then finally one of the things i was really excited to hear Dr. Bubbs talk about was how adversity is a gift. And in his experience, he was talking a lot about athletes who uh, maybe aren't playing as much as they would like, or, you know, maybe they don't care about nutrition recovery, but then they get hurt and kind of reinvest in themselves in this manner. And what I was, you know, a quote I used to tell myself was, you know, earlier in my career was smart people are able to learn from their mistakes. So they don't make the same mistake again, but really smart people are able to learn from other people's mistakes. Um, And I'll leave you with that today. So thank you uh, to all of our listeners joining us today. Uh, Please continue to comment, like, subscribe, share with a friend or family member you think would gain uh, from our conversation today with Dr. Mark Bobbs. And thank you for joining me on my journey to become a more curious competitor.